This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to the part of the worship service where we, we open your word, a book that is unlike any other book, a word unlike any other word, because it's supernatural. It's your word. It's God-breathed. And Lord, we, we, we pray that as you, just as you told the prophet Ezekiel, eat this scroll, that Lord, we would, we would take in your word and that it was to Ezekiel that it will be to us, that it will be as sweet as honey in our mouth. Lord, Lord you know every need represented in this room today. Lord, would you meet each one of us right at the point of that need right now through your word and the power of your spirit as your son is exalted. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> you know, travel these days has enough challenges without uh, detours. Whether you are in the air or on land, it's hard enough these days without detours, but detours are going to to happen. Some years ago, Melissa and I were, were, were coming uh, back in from a, a, a late night flight, and this is when we were living on the, the peninsula, so we were flying into the little Newport News airport, and it was late at night. We were dead tired after a long day of travel, and the night was crystal clear. I mean, the conditions were perfect. We could look down and see our neighborhood as we were, were, were approaching the airport, and uh, we were looking for that bed was going to feel so good after a long day of travel. Well, we started kind of circling the airport, and we're like, what in the world? I mean, the weather is perfect here. And they came on, and they announced that uh, Somebody wasn't at their post overnight in air traffic control, and so uh, because of that, we, we weren't going to be able to land <laughs> in Newport News, and we were being uh, diverted to the Richmond Airport, where we were going to be put on a bus in the middle of the night and haul down to the Newport News <laughs> Airport. I mean, talk about a testing of, of patience. But life has a way of, of, of throwing detours at us that are far, far more serious. A financial collapse, a job loss, a child who goes astray, a betrayal, a divorce, a tragic accident, 
life-altering news from the doctor's office. And many more things that can happen in our lives that were just not a part of the life that we had mapped out. This was not how it was supposed to be. This is not part of the plan in our minds. In fact, the question really is not whether we're going to encounter detours in our lives. It's part of life in a fallen world. The question really is how do we deal with them when they come? Let's talk about that today. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. And last week we began this new series on the life of, of Joseph. And we're talking today about dealing with life's detours. Joseph's life was full of detours. And we see a couple of major ones in chapter 39. So let's, let's begin to walk through this text together. Genesis 39, and we're going to walk through this, this chapter together. I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Follow along in your copy of God's Word. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guards, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you were his wife. So how could I do this immense evil? And how could I sin against God? Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day, he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment with her and had run outside, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man here to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. She put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me, but when I screamed for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. When his master heard the story his wife had told, these are the things your slave did to me, he was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. 
But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything that he did successful. So what do we see here in this chapter? If you want to follow along and take notes, you can, you can do that on the, the back of, your, the back of your, your bulletin. First of all, we see a couple of major detours in Joseph's life. Detour number one, of course, is Egypt itself. Look at the beginning of verse one. Now, Joseph had been taken to Egypt. So last week, In chapter 37, we saw that Joseph's own brothers, his older brothers, sell him into slavery to a group of traders that were headed to Egypt. Joseph's just 17 years old, and he suddenly, one moment, you know, he's out in the field looking for his older brothers. The next moment, he's at the bottom of a pit. And then soon after that, he finds himself in chains as part of this caravan on their way to Egypt, having been sold as a slave. Imagine this teenager who has been raised in rural Canaan coming into the Nile Valley of Egypt. He can look up and see the Pyramids, the 15th Egyptian dynasty is in full swing. His first morning in Egypt, this this young man who's been raised to worship the one true God who neither slumbers nor sleeps is awakened by cultic chanting to the false gods to, awake, to supposedly awaken them from their, their, their slumber. And, and polytheism, the worship of false gods, pervades every aspect of, of ancient Egypt. But even in the midst of this spiritually dark place, alone, God has not abandoned him. Look at the second part of verse one. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guards bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. Now we've already seen the hidden hand of God at work in Joseph's story. We saw last week that the place where this took place, where his brothers plotted against him, it happened to be right along a major trade route on the way to Egypt. And just as his brothers were plotting what to do with him, they look up and they see this caravan of traders on their way to Egypt. And after he's brought to Egypt... At the moment that Joseph is being auctioned off as a slave, who is there but this man Potiphar, who was the captain of the guards, a man very close to the Egyptian pharaoh himself. You see, God is putting all of the pieces in place. 
Who's in control in this story? Not the brothers. Not Potiphar. Not Pharaoh. Not Joseph. God is in control of everything that's happening. Verse 2. It says the Lord was with Joseph. You see that expression again and again in this chapter. The Lord was with Joseph. What does Jesus say to us at the end of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 20? I will be with you always. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. It sounds like Genesis 12, 3, right? When God begins to tell Abraham he's going to form the Jewish people through him, what does God say to Abraham? I will bless those who bless you. It says the Lord's blessing was on all that he owned, in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. In other words, Potiphar comes to the conclusion, the best way that I can manage my affairs is not to manage them at all. <laughs> Just leave Joseph in charge. Everything he touches turns to gold. Now at this point, we're feeling pretty good about Joseph's story, right? I mean, he had this horrible thing happen. His brothers sell him as a slave, and he ends up in Egypt alone. But, but, but it seems like, you know, things are going well. God's blessing. Everything's going smoothly. Things are beginning to turn out good for Joseph. And then, boom! Detour number two. Prison. Prison. Look at the latter part of verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. Now the Hebrew expression for uh, sleep with me, it's just two words in Hebrew. And it's a term that is never used of marital intimacy. It's a term that describes just sort of brutish lust. And she basically gives this to him as a command. After all, she's in the position of power. Joseph's just a slave in the house. And so she, she gives this command, sleep with me, the way she'd say, pull weeds, dust the furniture. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's basically a command. And for that reason, Joseph could have so easily have rationalized going along with it. After all, he would have been obeying orders. But through the adversity, the trial that Joseph has been going through, Joseph's character has been formed. This is not the same immature 
young man that we met in chapter 37. It's almost like the, the experience of, of, of adversity and the spiritual darkness of Egypt. Instead of driving Joseph further away from God, it's driven Joseph deeper into his faith. And so Joseph has a very clear moral compass. And verse eight says, but he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. And he's put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do this immense evil and how could I sin against God? And you get the, you get the sense here from this last expression. How could I do this immense evil and how could I sin against God? Joseph understands that all sin ultimately is against God. How could I sin against God? Joseph sees sin as nauseating, repugnant. Oh, that God would give us such a hatred of sin, that sin would be seen for what it is, stupid, foolish, nauseating, repugnant, and against God. Verses 10 and 11. Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work and none of the household servants were there. You get the feeling that Joseph has done everything that he can to avoid her. But one day he's in his work, he's in the house doing his work. He can't avoid being there. And verse 12 says, she grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. I mean, verse 12 is like the embodiment of what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee from youthful passions. Verse 13, when she saw that he had left his garment with her and had run outside, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. So she's blaming Potiphar, and then throwing in a little anti-Semitism at the same time, this Hebrew man. He came to me so he could sleep with me, but, and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. She put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. I mean, this is just like diabolically evil. But it puts, it make, it puts Joseph in a, a horrible, a horrible light. Verses 19 and and 20, when his master heard the story his wife told him, these are the things your slave did to me, he was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in the prison. Now the fact that Joseph was not immediately executed 
is very telling. In all likelihood, Potiphar, knowing the character of his wife, isn't buying what she's saying. And he's probably furious that he's going to lose Joseph and all of his services. But in this culture, in order to save face, he's got to put Joseph in prison. So he doesn't kill him, but he throws him into prison. And at this point, Joseph must have faced a temptation that was far greater than the temptation to sexual immorality. And that was the temptation to discouragement, bitterness, disillusionment. After all, he's being thrown into prison because he did the right thing. And you see, this this is a test. This is God testing his heart. Joseph, do you love me because of the good stuff that I give you? Or do you love me because of who I am? Ian Duguid says this, if we are obeying God to get something from him in return, then that something really controls our hearts, not God. And you see, this is, this is what makes prosperity theology, the whole health and wealth gospel thing that so started in our country and then made its way around the world, unfortunately. It's heresy. But what makes it so lethal is that it causes people to love the gifts of God more than the giver. Not to mention the fact that it ignores so much of the teaching of God's word. Listen, did Jesus teach that if we faithfully follow him that life is going to be easy? No, what did Jesus say? It says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If we follow Christ faithfully, that's not always going to be easy. There's going to be a cost. But with that comes the promise of God, I'll be with you every step of the way. What happens in the prison Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything that he did successful. What does that sound like? That the language is almost identical to the language of what it was like in the house of Potiphar. Now, what are the biblical principles that we need to see in chapter 39? I want us to look at four of them. First of all, God's 
presence in our detours. God's presence in our detours. Let's go back to the beginning of the chapter and look at verses two and three. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made everything he did successful. Notice the presence of the word LORD in all caps. That's the personal covenant name of God, Yahweh. And we see it eight times in this chapter. Once in verse 2, twice in verse 3, twice in verse 5, once in verse 21, twice in verse 23. Throughout these detours in Joseph's life, from the darkness of the pit in the desert to the darkness of Egypt, to the darkness of, in, within the house of Potiphar, to the darkness of the dungeon. The Lord is with him. Gardner Taylor was one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century He was pastor of Concord Baptist Church in Brooklyn for 40 years. But he was raised in rural Louisiana. And one time, uh, Dr. Gardner was preaching, very young guy at that point. This would have been back in the 1930s. And so he was still in Louisiana. He was preaching that night at a, a, a country church, poor church way out in the country. And they had one light bulb that was coming down from the ceiling to to light that whole little sanctuary. And then the light just kind of flickered and went out. Everybody's in pitch darkness. Well, Gardner at that point didn't have much preaching experience. And so he was kind of chained to his notes and never preached without notes before. And so he's up there just kind of fumbling around and didn't know what to say. And one of the old guys in the church said, preach on, preacher. We can still see Jesus in the dark. Well, praise God. His promise is that whether you can see him in the dark or not, he sees you in the dark. That dark time in your life God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He's with you. God's presence in our detours. Second, your growth in detours. We see that the Joseph of chapter 39 is not the same guy as the Joseph of chapter 37. Last week, In chapter 37, Joseph comes across as spoiled, entitled, kind of bratty, tattletale. The Joseph of chapter 39 has had his character formed and shaped in part through the adversity that he's been through. He's been been formed into a mature man of God. And we, we see that, not only in the way that he responds to sexual temptation, but think of his conduct in both the house of Pontifer and in the prison. 
Now, to be sure, we understand it was the hand of God that was blessing things, but you get the feeling from the language here that in both of these places, Joseph is devoted, he's diligent, he's a, he's a model of hard work and character, and there's a lesson here for us. Be a blessing in your job or in your school or in whatever situation in life God has placed you. And maybe you're in a situation where your boss or you know, the people that you work with or go to school with or whatever, they're not believers. Potiphar was not a believer. <laughs> the prison warden was not a believer. But Joseph was a light. Wherever God put him, be faithful where you are. Be faithful in that place, in that job, in that situation where you are. And honor each job. Honor each relationship, each person that you come across, each situation that you are in. Be all in for the Lord. Be faithful where you are. Because God's working. God's growing you. One time, Melissa and I were on I-95, and, and we got detoured off into the, the country because they were doing construction work on a bridge on the interstate. A, a lot of times, detours, you're detoured because there's construction going on. And during the detours in our lives, God's growing you. God's doing construction your growth in detours. Third, God's testing in your detours. In this chapter, we see both tempting and testing. Now, God never tempts us. The book of James tells us that. But God does test us. And Psalm 105 explicitly tells us that he was testing Joseph, Psalm 105 says, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with shackles. His neck was put in an iron collar until the time his prediction came true. The word of the Lord tested him. You know, Satan tempts us to get us to fall. God tests us to teach us how to stand and to stand stronger. How do our bodies get stronger? You know, when we lift weights, it's the resistance, right? It's the resistance, the pain against our muscles that's actually making our bodies stronger. If we, if we get into running, it's that initial pain in running that enables us to get stronger and to enjoy it and to build endurance. When the doctor wants to understand the physical condition of our hearts, we get put on a treadmill and we take a stress test to reveal how's it going physically with your heart? How's it going spiritually with your heart? You see, pressure reveals that. If you fill up a sponge Right, And then you subject that sponge, that filled up sponge to pressure. 
and you twist it, what's inside of that sponge is going to come out. And we're, when, we're, when we're under pressure, what's inside of us is going to come out. Whatever's inside is going to come out. What comes out when you are being tested, when you are under pressure? Is it panic? Is it frustration? Is it blaming other people? Is it anger? Is it fear? Is it worry? What comes out of Joseph is the Lord in both of these situations because he's full of the Lord. The final thing we see here is trusting God in your detours. Trusting God in your detours. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith this way. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. What is not seen. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Now think about Joseph in this situation. See, we have the advantage of knowing this story, right? Most of us know. We can see how this is playing out. How God is taking every detail of the story. And causing it to work together for his glory and for Joseph's good, just as we sung earlier in Canvas and, and Clay, right? We, can, we have the advantage of seeing that, right? We can see what, what, that God actually sent Joseph to Egypt. We can see that had, had Joseph not been put in prison, he would not have met the chief cupbearer and the chief baker who we're going to meet next week in chapter 40. And he would not have been in a position to interpret their dreams. And then he would not have been in a position to interpret Pharaoh's dreams so that he could become Pharaoh's right-hand man and be used in that position to save a multitude of lives, including the lives of the Jewish people through whom Jesus was going to be born. We can see all that. Joseph couldn't see any of that at this point. And that's what makes detours so hard. We, we can't see where we're going. What we can do is trust the one who is taking us there. Every time you fly, you're certainly exercising faith. <laughs> You're placing your faith in mechanics who take care of the plane. You're placing your faith in people like air traffic controllers. You're placing your faith maybe above all in a pilot. I've been in some situations on planes where we encountered really bad turbulence. <laughs> I mean, the plane's being shaken like a rag doll. And I'm, I'm, I always look around at the, you know, at the flight attendants to see what, 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 are, what are their faces like. <laughs> you know, because people around me, they're getting really nervous. But you know what? The voice of the captain comes on and just nonchalant, hey, you know, sorry about this. We're going through a little bit of turbulence here. Man, it's going to be okay. 15, 20 minutes, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna move through it. And it's like, you know, it's going to be okay. When we're going through the turbulence 
of life, you got to listen for the voice of the captain. I love what Tony Evans says about this. God doesn't always take us out of our detours, but knowing he is with us can produce calm amid the turbulence of life. When the financial, relational, health, employment, or whatever situation won't seem to get restored in life, listen for God's voice. Do you recognize his presence? Let's pray. There is one who has gone straight into the worst turbulence, the greatest trial that anyone could ever face, and that is the Lord Jesus. He allowed all of the evil in this world, all of the injustice, all of it, to be poured out on him in our place. He has been there before us and he has borne it for us. And he has risen from the dead so that all who trust in him may have eternal life. Do you know Christ as your Savior and Lord? As you walk through this fallen world and with, with all of its trials, its adversities, its detours, do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, your Captain, your King? You can know him. The work has been done. He died for sinners like you and me. He is risen. Turn to him and trust him today. Repent and believe. Turn from trying to do life your way, apart from him, apart from his design. And place all of your trust and your confidence in Christ. In his death for your sins on the cross, in his resurrection from the dead. Ask him now, right now, right where you're seated. Lord Jesus, come into my life and take control. I repent of my sin. I turn from doing it my own way and I turn to you and I trust you. Father, we thank you for your son who gave his life and rose from the dead that sinners like us might know you and be in relationship with you and never be alone in this life and spend eternity with you. Father, I pray for anyone here who doesn't, who came into this room today not knowing Christ, who maybe is watching a video or listening to a CD, who does not have a relationship with you. Lord, would right now, would this moment, this be a holy moment of new life for them? They turn to you and trust you, yield their life to you. Father, for, for believers here, Lord, would we know your presence? Would you make us more aware of your great presence and your love in our lives? Lord, for anyone here who is greatly discouraged, 
Maybe he's going through a severe detour, a painful detour in life right now. Lord, would, t- would today be a time of where you impart hope to them? Lord, would, 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 would they turn their eyes to you right now and just be greatly encouraged as you speak and you say, I've got this. I love you. I've got you. It's in my hands. Lord, you fill them with hope and peace, confidence in you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.